Hey everyone, it's Joe. I just wanted to let you all know that it seems like I recorded the whole episode with my laptop microphone, so it's not going to sound as smooth as it does right now, so uh, enjoy the show. Hello everybody, welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for Monday, December 6th, 2021. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, today we're going to recap the year, 2021, early December, time to call it on 2021. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> the way that we're going to do it is what we always do. We're going to discuss the news of the world, trying to draw information from a variety of sources, treating this information in good faith, no matter where, in theory, it comes from, in theory. And in at that theory. point, we, in theory, we hope to keep you and ourselves adequately informed. Big caveat, we want things to be, um, you know, not just conjecture. Sources have to have some validity, um, you know. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, we realize that we aren't the only people who have ideas. Our ideas aren't the only ones that matter. We aren't the only people. Other people have perspectives and they're valid. We're not on the ivory tower shooting down everybody looking down on all the little ants down there on the ground, you know, that they're peon ideas. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Um, we don't. We actually, I'm a little too joking. That's not what we're about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so Evan, where, where, where do we start off with this recap? Yeah. So we're going to kind of go over the biggest political, social, and cultural events of the year, as well as some personal reflections for ourselves and for 2021 this starts on january 6th effectively uh, for the insurrection attempt that was made to stop the peaceful transition of power after donald trump lost the 2020 election based on to date completely unverified claims of election fraud um a huge group of pro-trump protesters stormed the u.s capitol building and uh, ended up uh, creating a, a violent insurrection that is one of the scariest instances of democratic backsliding in this country's recent history. Definitely in my lifetime. <laughs> Back yeah. to you, Chet. Um, <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of the thing, though. Um, there's been a lot of you know, trying to downplay this from conservative media sources. Oh, they were just protesting. It looked like they were on a tour. No, not 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 no, at no. all. <laughs> um, the hallmark of a stable democracy is the peaceful transition of power. If you lose, even when you lose, you're supposed to have enough faith in the system that you let the other guy take over power and not kill anyone about it. And yeah. that did not happen this time. Yep. People at that insurrection were killed. Officers on the scene defending the Capitol were killed. We didn't do it. We failed at having a peaceful transition of power. And, you know, clearly I think that Trump and Bannon and whoever else are most to blame, but we really should be looking long and hard at our institutions and attempting to understand why the the system has 
degraded to a point where something like this can happen. Yeah. Where we can put people in a media ecosystem that feeds them unverified claims that make them take up arms against their own nation. That's what yeah. happened. People showed up armed and ready to kill to stop the United States democracy from functioning as it has for years. Yeah. And that's scary. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think let's let's do a bit of a rundown of what we've learned since then. Um, so in a number of states where the uh, results were close, they have done um, of audits of the vote, even by pretty credulous or incredulous people or groups um, doing the cyber it. ninjas. Yeah, that, that's who did the recount in Arizona. And even the most incredulous of all the counters all came back and basically verified the results of the election. I think um, in Arizona, Biden's margin of victory actually widened slightly yeah, after the recount. Yeah. Even after they did all the weird shit, like looking for strands of bamboo in the ballot paper, because there was a thought that, you know, if it was votes from, you know, China shipping in votes for Biden, then, you know, they would have been printed on different paper that had bamboo on it, which was just a weird racist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Um, Chinese are involved. Well, you know, fucking get the pandas. They they got a hand in this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they got the bamboo. They probably use some sort of anagram, you know, hidden in plain sight. Um, they they were so, checking the back of the one dollar bill, like where where did Biden plant his incriminating message? Yeah. <laughs> um, so so all the results of the elections were verified. Um, it has come to become knowledge that. Trump definitely knew about what was or a fair amount of what was going on with the uh, insurrection and did very little to do anything about it. Um, That uh, when uh, the National Guard eventually went in, it was not sent in by uh, President Trump, but uh, Vice President Pence and then also military officials taking kind of their own accord, which you know, it has its own implications within the power structure of the federal government. But in this instance, it was like good. But um, and, you know, also come to light recently that some of the organizers of the insurrection were texting Eric Trump on burner phones. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of coordination on this event. This wasn't just a fluke. This wasn't mm-hmm. just. They had a rally, and then some of the rally goers took it upon themselves to go have a riot. This riot was planned after the, you know, the the rally, and quite a scary thing. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of people are now in jail, awaiting trial or going to trial, and it's just like, I don't know. It's good media bait to like get a take on jail from one of the Capitol insurrectionists. And there will be like, um, you know, Capitol insurrectionist uh, moved to a different prison that is able to afford him his choice in dietary restrictions because he's vegan or something like that. And it's like, 
interesting that these people are given, you know, being given this level of, uh, you know, clearance with all this. But, you know, Mm -hmm. not that I'm saying that, you know, people in prison should be, you know, not be afforded their dietary choices, but we know that not all of them are. So, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah, absolutely. The fallout from this, despite sort of the the scary things that it reveals about the health of our democratic structure, ultimately, though, Joe Biden was sworn in as president and the Trump era is over for now. Um, You know, he's mulling a potential 2024 bid. He believes he would be successful. It's kind of tough to see that he wouldn't be at least in a Republican primary. Well, and I'll Um, also just say, I think we're still living in the Trump era um, because the, the manner of politics and all that kind of stuff is still dominated by the forms that were forged during his presidency. Sure. I I agree with that, but the administration is over. Yeah. Yeah. The, the daily, Trump having access to the nuclear codes is no more. <laughs> the nuclear codes, which is zero, 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 zero. It was for a long time. That's not even a joke. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it was a joke. Yeah, I because guess it, it was. For a long time. <laughs> All right. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. That was the podcast. It was... Uh, it was a good show. I think that it could have been a little longer, but yeah, you know. Oh, we're still recording. Oh, yeah. well. Then I guess. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the insurrection? Or um, yeah, the... not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, it also kind of sucks that we haven't been able to really enact any reforms that would better deal with it. Or, um, from my understanding, Merrick Garland has been kind of hasty about whether to charge people in relations to the Capitol riots. And it's just, it's, a, it's disappointing. I mean, I guess I understand more the, the pol- politics side and like Congress because they should do it, but I don't know. It's just because of we've allowed our, Congress to basically grind to a standstill, every issue becomes the most monumentally important issue and you have to choose one. You know, it's no longer that we have a legislature that can do multiple things at once. It's like we have one that can just do one thing at a time. And, you know, that one thing currently has been COVID and economy and COVID related things. So, Um, you know, we haven't done the kind of institutional work that we need to do, um, especially when, you know, Democrats control Congress, but we, there's really only 48 true Democrats in the Senate and two wild cards, Joe Biden, who seen, or, you know, Joe Manchin, who seems to have convictions and Kristen Sinema, who seems to like being a foil to the Democrats. (laughs) That that really seems to be her motivating factor these days um, that, you know, she just she likes being a little spoil, um, which, (laughs) you know, um, maybe that contains sexist overtones. Maybe I don't know. But like it it sure does seem like there's some level of glee in being a 
a foil to the Democrats' plans. And especially on stuff like voting rights, when, you know, you can clearly see in her past that she had been a little bit more of a lefty and voted, you know, advocated for those things before she became senator. So I don't know. Hmm. I yeah, don't know. I I don't know. It's it's very frustrating. It's a big morass and quagmire. And it seems like like you're saying, we can't really do anything um because we still have the filibuster the filibuster essentially ensures that any party would need a super majority to pass something which in the modern competitive electoral landscape is very hard to accomplish and the only thing that you can really do without a filibuster proof majority is budget reconciliation and so it has forced the government to focus entirely on things that can be done as related to the budget things that don't cost any money like institutional reform and voting rights are dead in the water no matter even if cinema and mansion were on board yeah you couldn't do it because it could just get filibustered so well you it's, know, it's they, a very they, frustrating they, sclerotic situation yeah it would only take 50 votes to get rid of the filibuster but then again they're both not on board so you know mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting, but um, nothing really has changed fundamentally over the course of the year. I mean, we did get some big legislation passed. I think they're still working on getting the 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 second part of the infrastructure package done. We'll see if that actually ends up happening, but um, we're, they're still working on that. But they did pass the bipartisan one, which I I think is good. Um, you know, get some things going. So. Anyway. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Anyway, the rest of the episode will just be us saying anyway. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, we did that bit in the pre-show. It's anyway oh, I, was, I was trying to bring it back. Anyway. 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 Anyway, uh, the other big thing, one of several big things this year, how about COVID still happening? I mean, many of us are vaccinated, I'm vaccinated. Joe just got the booster. Power to him. Um, Your boy's boosted. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're able to resume closer to a normal life. Also, regardless of vaccination status, the public is just like, all right, well, we're uh, we're giving up on this. So everything's going to be open again. And uh, even if you recommend that I wear a mask and it's not required, you're tyranny. Yeah. So we, we've been dealing with the, the big word of the year has been variants. 2020 was all about COVID. 2021 has been about the variants because there was yeah. the Delta variant. And now there's Omicron, which we still don't know a ton about. But it's here. Oh, boy, is it? Yeah. It's, it's in the I, States. I mean, vaccines really changed the playing field of how we as a public react to COVID because we basically, it, it became that um, risk of death, um, your personal uh, risk to death became a personal choice. And those people who took the threat more seriously were able to get the vaccine and protect against that. And the people who did not care as, or still have not cared as much about it are not forced to, you know, they haven't been truly forced to get it. So, and they just carry a much higher risk of being 
dead because of COVID of it. And because, you know, everyone is able to better fulfill their, I don't know, risk portfolio or choose their own risk portfolio in terms of COVID risk, then, you know, we have seen a much more return to closer to things being normal. Um, but, you know, there's still tons of COVID. It, this, um, I saw some graphs where um, this, this Omicron variant is skyrocketing. Um, the trajectory of it is much faster than any of the three previous big waves. Um, so um, if you're not vaccinated, I highly recommend you do or take a lot of precautions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I still typically continue to wear a mask out and about. It's, you know, vaccines are great, but they're not magic. Vaccine is like an extra defense, but I would still rather not contract COVID yeah. or spread it to someone else. And a mask isn't a perfect solution either. It's just, like you said, one extra precaution that can offer just a little bit more security. You you change the risk profile just a little bit, and those those types of choices make a difference in the aggregate. I work at a public school and I have not gotten COVID yet. Like, give me some fucking credit, everyone. Like yeah. there there is COVID. There's COVID all over this school. We have someone out with COVID every week. Be it mo mostly kids, but also some staff. And you know what? I I'm probably going to get it this week because I'm being so cocky, but right. I'm trying I'm trying to be safe. And even though I'm in a very like high exposure setting, I've made it this far. I had to take a COVID test to go to the in-laws Thanksgiving and I was fine. All right. I made nice. it. Yeah. <laughs> Good. You got to see your in-laws. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it continues on. I mean, and I think, I think a lot of people are just so over having the debates about all this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of people, I mean, I am, I'll just say it. I'm over having the debates about <laughs> this stuff. Um, but I'm also no longer as affected by things. Um, so, and you know, there, you know, there's definitely one side that I believe is worse, but you know, just every, you know, there's been bungling on different sides of all of this. I mean, you know, uh, between lockdowns and what people could do and all this kind of stuff. But but now we're in a spot where we, I mean, for the most part as a society, we feel like we can, you know, let people do what they want and kind of, I mean, in Illinois, there's still a mask mandate, but, you know, it's not, it's not being followed strictly. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at, at all. And, you know, there are some places that I go to that I don't, I won't wear a mask in at, but you know, other places that I will. And, you know, you kind of figure it out and, you know, and if you're vaccinated, you're generally not going to die from COVID. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. We'll just see how these mutations keep going. Hopefully um, in the future, I mean, one of the big promises of the uh, MRI, mRNA vaccines is that you can 
kind of rapidly produce new ones um, that are variant specific. So hopefully that's something that comes out in the future. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We will see if, uh, if we're around for it, which we should be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would hope it would happen in the next <laughs> couple of years and we'd be around <laughs> for it. Yeah, so there's kind of this bigger discussion if if we say that we missed the boat to actually beat COVID out of existence, we might have to accept that it is endemic now and it will always kind of come around like the flu or other viral strains that we kind of have seasonally. So what what is what what could that look like? I don't know. You know, kind of what we're doing now, just kind of generally wear masks more, be a little bit more cautious about things. Um, Seasonal boosters like you get for the flu. Yep. Could be things like that. I mean, um, when SARS broke out in like um, a bunch of East Asian countries in like the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, there's an enduring culture of, I mean, until before the coronavirus, where people would regularly wear masks out in public, um, you know, because, you know, to protect against the possibility of SARS being out there, which is a like a coronavirus, um, you know, it's a respiratory illness. Um, So, you know, I think from now on, we're just going to have people, you know, some who are just wear masks out in public life for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, and some people think that is kind of scary, but now that we've lived through this and it just doesn't seem too weird. Like I, I remember hearing accounts of people go to like Japan or something and seeing people wear masks and being a little, you know, spooked by it because it's like, Oh, should I be wearing a mask? But but now we know it's like, Oh, you can choose to wear a mask if you want to, to protect against this stuff. But you know, you know, it's your choice. Yeah, not even just COVID, but like any kind of general airborne illnesses can be mitigated with mask wearing. So yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. People will continue to make their choices. I guess. <laughs> I guess so too. Yeah, yeah. So what's next, Evan? What do we got? So, what else we got? Uh, what do we, what do we, we else? We withdrew from Afghanistan. We're gone. We out. Um, yeah. It's been a, a big point of contention. The Trump administration kind of painted the Biden administration into a corner in a way by setting a hard deadline for withdrawal, after which point the U.S. troops likely would have faced open combat hostility from the Taliban. But the Biden administration chose to meet that withdrawal deadline, and there was a huge flurry of activity around getting people out of Afghanistan. The airport was bombed, and now the Taliban has retaken control of Afghanistan, which has led... It's actually done very little to change like public opinion. Like, if you were more towards like escaping Afghanistan anyway you can say well you know what what's the point of US propping up this government that couldn't last 4 days before the Taliban beat them again but if you're 
someone who favored the U.S. intervention, you can say, look, see, see what good we were doing in there and yeah. all the bad things that are going to happen now that the terrorists are in charge again. So like anything in modern politics, there's really no agreed upon narrative for what the Afghanistan withdrawal has meant. Um, but it is something that we have done and there are clearly discernible implications in terms of international geopolitics. Yeah, I, I'm definitely still in favor of uh, the withdrawal we did. Um, you know, it was going to be kind of messy um, no matter what you did. And, you know, one thing I've heard is that basically since, um, you know, it wasn't that they, um, like, since they actually started leaving Afghanistan, it was a very quick withdrawal. But it was a very quick agreed upon withdrawal with the Taliban. Um, but what went along with that is that since they gave an agreed upon um, timeline of things that apparently also gave the Taliban enough time to um, grease the palms of Iraqi soldiers and the military to basically be like, hey, um, do you want to fight us or do you want to be with us, you know, after they leave? <laughs> and since um, there wasn't a whole lot going on, I mean, Afghan soldiers weren't really getting paid much. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of sense of nationality with a um, Afghan government versus a Taliban government and just kind of a general fed upness with, you know, U.S., occupation, then a lot of soldiers ended up, you know, just kind of disbanding, joining the Taliban or just kind of letting them do whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I, it definitely very good that we left. I mean, it has had some implications for people in Afghanistan, but, um, at least currently, it doesn't seem like the widespread oppression of women has taken at least anywhere close to the levels that it had done in the 90s when the Taliban was last in power. I mean, there has been more force wearing of hijabs and, you know, out in public and all that kind of stuff. But from my understanding, they are still able to take part in public life. So it's... Uh, it, I, it's interesting, but then also basically as soon as the withdrawal process was done and, you know, there was no longer horrifying videos coming out of the Tehran airport, um, it was no longer a news story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there wasn't beat to beat, you know, you know, what's been going on in Afghanistan after it happened. It was we, you know, it was you know, a political talking point and then, but that basically exhausted everything it had and there wasn't any more juice in it as a political ploy. So then basically it got ignored since then. Yeah. So yeah, it's been interesting, but like I said before, good. What, what do you, you got any thoughts, Evan? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I generally support the idea of the withdrawal, you know, I think that 
is the Taliban, and this is something that we've, you know, ground we've tread before on the show, but it's our recap show, so here we go. Yeah. Is it great that the Taliban is in power? No. But, you know, we're, we're kind of having to ask these questions about what the U.S. obligation truly is, and if the alternative is sort of indefinitely propping up a puppet government in Afghanistan, maybe it is time to walk away, you know? Um, there's 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 certainly a lot of regrets that we can have about what we wish could have happened, but yeah, and ending the forever wars is something that has always been talked about in Joe and I's adult political lifetimes, but has not really come to fruition until now. So it was it was the right move, but the the mission is not done of international peace. It just requires responding to this new situation now without a U.S. military presence in Afghanistan for the time being. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, in some ways even it's like, you know, um, is it the U.S. military's role to try and ensure peace throughout the world? Um, you know, that's a pretty big, that's big a pretty mandate. big thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we certainly don't mandate it everywhere. You know, there's lots of civil wars and wars that happen within Africa that we don't intervene in. Um, and, and, you know, there's lots of other countries that do other heinous thing, more heinous things than Afghanistan did to its people, but, you know, we're not invading them. And, you know, and the impetus for invading Afghanistan was never humanitarian. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I mean, it's like, there, there's, um, there's a new book out that I want to read. It's like, um, I forget what it was. I, there was like a write-up in the New York Times, but it was like the myth of the good war or something like that. Essentially how um, World War II in you know, popular culture myth-making was seen as this, you know, the good, just war because Mm -hmm. we defeated the Nazis, these people who were so evil and all this stuff. But, like, we didn't enter that war because Hitler had concentration camps, like, and was exterminating the Jews. That's not why we got into the war. We got into the war because Japan bombed. We didn't yeah. go to war in Afghanistan because women were being treated brutally. We went in because the Taliban had supported Al-Qaeda and, you know, they were harboring Al-Qaeda cells within Afghanistan. It's like, like that robot chicken sketch of Little Hitler where the international nations of 1940s era world politics uh-huh. are envisioned as children in a school classroom and little Hitler keeps taking the desks of like Austria and all the all the countries around him and there's the the little US kid just sitting at his desk and he's got like his his McDonald's meal on his desk he looks at what little Hitler's doing and he says hey you know what it's not my problem and then a little Japanese kid runs over and knocks over his soda and then the American kid sits up and goes now it's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, what what different 
how different would have World War II panned out if a um, the Japanese hadn't bombed Pearl Harbor, but then also b if Hitler hadn't been quite as um, crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like, this really in, in his military strategy, at least. Yeah, you know, not not you know in his popular you know gusto or whatever. But, well, there's a very interesting miniseries based on the novel "The Plot Against America" about an alternative history where uh, Charles Lindbergh sort of runs this surprise populist campaign and becomes president. And so during World War II, they have Lindbergh, who's a president. He's sort of a fascist sympathizer and isolationist. And so the U.S. doesn't enter the war and they do have a cozier relationship with Nazi Germany. And, you know, counterfactuals are so interesting because they... In, in trying to show us what could have been, they necessarily show us what's already there, right? Yeah. Sort of the the propensity for certain U.S. citizens and political organizations to feel sympathy for fascism, which, you know, clearly we have kind of run into again here to an extent <laughs> here in the 2020s. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the like you were saying, Joe, to, to get back to your point – I, I do agree that World War Two was ultimately a net positive thing. Like, it's a good thing that Hitler did not achieve his goal of world domination. But it was not that high-minded defense of freedom that put us there. It was the pragmatic yeah. response to a military incursion. Yeah. And to justify a war to keep going because of those humanitarian means is just... It's a tough proposition. I mean, every war, you're basically saying, I feel like it's justified to do evil in order to get some good. Mm -hmm. Um, The greater good. Yeah. And it did not seem like in Afghanistan, the amount of evil that we were doing was suppressing a really great, greater evil and, you know, wasn't really doing a ton good you know mm-hmm. and you know some people will disagree and you know I, like like we say at the beginning of the show other people can have different opinions i mean i'm not sacrosanct in this position but at least from me you know i don't want to you know i i don't want to be our, our our country to be a permanent occupying force in another person's country you know, and propping it up in a way that it seems it doesn't even want to be propped up if left to its own. Um, even if that form is better for the people or the world, you know. So it's just, it's complicated. Yeah, it is very complicated. Most of this year has been very complicated. Yeah, it has. So what else is complicated, Evan? Um, racial justice. I didn't have this on the initial outline, but hopefully we can we can pivot and, and incorporate this. There's been a couple of land not landmark trials, but high profile trials that have yeah let let us question who gets what level of impunity 
from violent crime. So I'm referring to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and also the trial of the men who murdered Ahmaud Arbery. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted and Ahmaud Arbery's murderers were convicted. And it paints a very fractured portrait of justice. You know, a lot of people were upset that a sad white boy could travel across state lines with a a weapon that I believe he couldn't even obtain legally and kill two people and still claim self-defense successfully in front of a jury. As I said at the time, though, I think based on the standard in Wisconsin, I, I, I think that it more or less checks out. Like, I don't I think the situation is unfortunate, but I, I, from from my own completely amateur legal analysis, I don't see that anything there was misapplied. I think that the law may have just been inadequate to address the specific situation. Yeah, but I mean, but then we got yeah. From my understanding, you know, a a self defense charge is, you know, it's irregardless which is a word that people say is made up, but you know, it works. You understand what I mean? Uh, Regardless of what the circumstances, which led to that encounter, um, you know, it's a finding out whether when you're in that encounter, when you were, that you were justified. So a, you know, lawful self-defense, you know, charge again, is not taking into fact that, you know, he was came in from outside that he was holding, you know, taking a weapon that was um, he really shouldn't have been legally having may not have been legally able to openly carry out in the public. And, you know, generally just being out in a situation that he shouldn't have been part of that, that, you know, in the legal defense, as it's currently set up of a self-defense trial, those don't matter. It's whether in the moment he was justified in his fear and, you know, used whatever means were available or to him. even not that he was justified in some objective sense, but that he felt it was necessary. He yeah. felt threatened and that it would be necessary. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I wish the law wasn't like that. I wish you could take into account other things or but. But also, just I I didn't watch the trial, but I heard that the prosecutors were uh, kind of buffoons. Um, <laughs> great, and but you know, but but yeah, you had a greater point that you were going to. Well, just that then we got a little bit better news when the men who murdered Ahmad Arbery were convicted because Ahmad Arbery was a black man in where was it Georgia. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and he was jogging, and apparently he looked suspicious to some man in the neighborhood who began to chase him with a gun and told him to stop, which is, you know, if if someone started chasing me with a gun, I would not stop. I would run the fuck away. (laughs) And um, all because allegedly... Arbery was trespassing on not not this guy's property, someone else's property. Um, but he mm. and a couple of other of his buddies got into a car and pursued Arbery and eventually shot him dead. And 
they also tried to claim, you know, self-defense or neighborhood protection or what have you, but that was pretty easily not <laughs> bought by the jury and they will all face multiple decades in prison. So, you know, I, th- I think that a lot of people were nervous for that one, especially because it, it's a situation where it's like, if, if this doesn't lead to a conviction, like, will will it lead to riots? But justice was served and and those murderers were held to account. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's with, with the legal system. And I think it's tough, too, when everything is just such an armchair thing, right? Like, we all feel like we have to participate in every court case that goes on whether it's in our own community or all the way down in Georgia or in you know Wisconsin for what have you but the there, there is some semblance of of justice that was carried out there some some faith that we can have in the ability of the justice system to get it right some of the time, even though it doesn't always get the outcome that we think yeah. is just that, uh, the, the way someone put it to me was that the law is a tool for achieving justice and it's an imperfect tool, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. it's what we have. And I think right. that is what was borne out in all of these high profile national cases. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we get tripped up by um, trying to apply lawyers' standards of talking about cases to everyone. Like, you know, if someone came to you and it's like, uh, well, you say justice was done in this one case, but are you implying justice wasn't done in this other case just because you didn't agree with it? And it's like, well, within your own personal definition of justice, you can. But I mean, if you're a lawyer, you that that would be you know connotating such bigger ideas. Of yeah, the yeah. That you work within because the legal idea of justice would be the process, right? It's not about getting the result that you want or don't want, but that the proper steps were taken to at least give both sides a fair and legally required footing in. A neutral court of law, which is what is required in the U.S. Um, what, what, what's the name for it? Adversarial justice. Yeah, adversarial legal system. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like that everywhere. Some nations have an inquisitional legal system where the individuals who are tasked with carrying out trials aren't necessarily there for the prosecution or the defense. They're just there to try to gather facts and obtain a narrative of what is happening. And there's definitely some advantages to that where you can't have sort of an enterprising and talented defense attorney get off someone who is clearly guilty and you can't have an overzealous but talented prosecutor throw the book at someone and just win because the defense is incompetent. But at the same time, if the people who are in charge of the inquisitional system decide that someone is guilty, that person has no one to advocate for their defense. 
And that is kind of scary if you're accused of a crime. I think that the a legal system designed to protect the rights of the accused, it, it makes us so frustrated sometimes, right? We're like, oh, why, yeah. why is this why is this murderer entitled to a defense? But every single person has the potential for being accused of a crime at some point in their life. You're, you know, yeah. some if you commit a crime, then it's in your control, but otherwise it might be completely out of your control. And trust I mean, me, if, if you are in that position, you are going to thank your lucky stars for your legal entitlement to a defense. Yeah, I a remember zealous there, defense. there was like a uh, there was a quote in making a murder. It was like, you know, we can all say that we're not going to commit crimes and you can choose that. But you can't say I'm never going to be committed or, con- you know, uh convicted of accused yeah or accused of a crime yeah so but yeah you know we can all have our own ideas about what justice should be i mean because the idea of the justice system is that it's supposed to be an amalgamation of our ideals of what crimes truly matter to us and how um, you know, they should be punished. That's, you know, the crude form of what a justice system is. And, you know, what we're seeing now is that there's a lot of people who don't believe that our system of justice is truly just. And I believe it's okay to voice that opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I definitely think that there are some things of the justice system that aren't just. So, yeah, I agree. So, some, you know, what we see is some justice, some that we don't. Um, yeah, it's it's been a year for it. Yeah. And to pivot from that to our next topic of someone who won a big victory in the legal system this year was Britney Spears. This year, 2021, was the culmination of the Free Britney movement. For years, Britney Spears had been under a restrictive conservatorship overseen by her father, Jamie Spears, that limited her financial resources, it limited her medical and personal autonomy, and made it so that she really didn't have a lot of control over the big picture wheelings and dealings of her own life. Even though the initial mental health crisis that necessitated the conservatorship appears to be well in the rearview mirror. So there was kind of a groundswell of support first from her colleagues in the artistic community and then eventually through other media and social media outlets, including Adequately Informed bringing light to the absurdity of her continued conservatorship. We were really at the forefront. Oh, we, we, uh, I, I think it was like, you know, Brittany said it and then Christina Aguilera said it and we were third. We were yeah. number three on that list. So yeah, we, uh, and, and eventually the public, the, the negative public perception building around Jamie Spears got so bad that he said, you know, I would rather lose access to this conservatorship, which has been a cash cow for me than be forever seen as a national villain and Brittany was able to successfully file for the termination of her conservatorship and it was granted so in in 2021 really was the year that we freed Brittany. yeah and i i will say i i said this at the time but it is still kind of a black box you know it it feels very much like um 
what do we call it? You know, when you, when you, uh, impeachment, it's like impeachment, like, you know, um, you can only, you can pressure people far enough, but then, you know, if you don't have, if you're not a, have a means to convict them or remove them, then, you know, the best you can do is pressure and it's up to them whether they respond to that pressure or not. And mm-hmm. we had gone through so many years of Trump seemingly not responding to that pressure. But then, you know, this, you know, Jamie, Jamie Spears responded to the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is still kind of a black box where like, what if someone's wrongfully in a conservatorship and they want out of it, but the person who's, you know, keeping it does doesn't want out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And they like, just don't care about any negative blowback. Or if yeah. there's not an entire celebrity's fan base pushing for it. I mean, I guess that was really the case before the big push this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, the real the real thing that changed it was um, Brittany learning that she had a right to her own attorney mm-hmm. and could do legal proceedings on her own without the conservatorship. Um, that was the big impetus for all this. I mean, there had been brewing for years about it, and I'm sure personally within her own life there had been trying to fight it. So, you know, it, it really took a big thing to to bring it out into the open. Yeah, because that's the other thing is that she should have had access to her own counsel the entire time, but she was misinformed by the counsel from the conservatorship, which prolonged this beyond what it ever should have been. Yeah. So good. Good. She's free now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another woman who had a bit of a struggle but bounced back from it was Simone Biles. Simone Biles was the most heralded athlete coming into the 2020 Olympics, which of course the 2020 Olympics took place in 2021 because of COVID. Um, so there's there's a bit of ambiguity about whether these will go down in history as the 2021 Olympics, the 2020 Olympics, whatever. The point is she was there and all of a sudden on the day of the team final she just could not perform to the expectations that she always had she had developed what is known in gymnast circles as the twisties it's when you your your mind and your body are out of sync you cannot spot yourself and it makes it very dangerous to try to do all the flips and twists that you have to do because if you don't twist correctly if you lose your sense of orientation you can fall very hard very far and really injure yourself and so she ended up withdrawing from the team final and most of the event finals due to what she had self-described and what is logically referred to as mental health issues her her mind and her body were not right they were not working in sync together and this sparked backlash kind of in, in both directions. There were people who were saying, ah, you know, just just rub some dirt on it, get out there and compete. And then a lot of other people saying, no, no, she's brave and she needs to take care of herself, set an example for people on how to deal with their mental health. And obviously we had adequately informed fall into that second camp. It was it actually took a great deal of courage for Biles to step away and to be able to say, you know, Olympic glory is great, but health, including mental health, 
is even more important. But thankfully, she was able to bounce back in time for the beam final. She still got a bronze individual medal in addition to the silver team medal. And then uh, near the end of the year, she's embarking here on her Gold Over America tour, which I was able to see when it came to Indianapolis, which is just sort of a program of gymnastics and dance and you know positive, uplifting messages for her young fans. And she's going to be all right. What about that's the old what, fans? The old fans, you know, we, we could just appreciate it or fuck off. Did you get to drink beer there? No. Dang. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny that 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 whole thing was a big you know, blow up. And then, you know, I was like, when you put it on the list, I was like, huh, interesting. I, I had forgotten about that. You know, mm. just kind of, it was something that happened. Um, I don't know. I mean, she's still very clearly within her prime. I, I, w- I would wonder if she would come back for the next set of the Olympics. The, no, the consensus no. is that she will not. I mean, it's not unheard of, but in gymnastics, the, the prime window closes faster than you'd think. Um, so yeah, it is widely believed that this is her last Olympics. Clearly she'll continue to do other things. She's globally the most recognizable international ambassador for the competition of gymnastics so like she she will continue to be an american hero and celebrity but at least in terms of international olympic gymnastics likely done not not unheard of but i i think that the intention was for this to be the last year and you know, gymnast bodies, it's, it just, it, it gets harder from here on out, not easier. I guess we'll, uh, we'll, she'll, we'll see what decision she makes. Yeah, because it's yeah. her choice. Yep. Yeah. Not my choice. No, you're not her agent. You're not her conservator. <laughs> Free biles. Yeah. <laughs> so what else, Evan? So, yeah, then kind of the the big thing that's been going on recently is this economic recovery that we're trying to experience recently. From, yeah. You know, come coming around the bend. Um, but we got inflation concerns. We got con- concerns of vast amounts of job openings. So what do you think is going on with our economy right now here at the end of 2021, Joe? Well, yeah, so. You know, we started the year and the economy was very depressed. Um, you know, it wasn't coming out of its room. It wasn't bathing regularly. Um, it was having a tough time. And, um, you know, we've had a year where, you know, basically we really stimulated the economy. Um, and it's come to the consensus that or not the consensus, but at least a point that we may have overdone it a little bit um, in stimulating the economy because um, right now we're facing some inflation. But the flip side of that is that there isn't one thing that is very obvious that should have been done differently. And then also the world over is experiencing inflation, not just the United States. So um our our packages for you know what are stimulating the economy and benefits ended up being way more than any other country and 
you know, this kind of leads into this America, the expensive realm where it's like, yeah, we'll do things, but we'll do it the most expensive way. You know, it's not like other countries where it's like paying to, you know, the government will subsidize your wages to still be employed somewhere, but, you know, we'll give out stimulus checks or some shit, you know, but yeah, so we're at a point, oh, you know, over the whole year, it was like, nobody's coming to these jobs. There's so many job openings, people aren't coming and, you know, wages have raised, you know, have been raised and more people have come out and unemployment is now down below 5%, um, which is a pretty big recovery. It's been a very swift recovery, but um, it's just tough because there's fewer people in the workforce and um, the understanding is about about a third of that is third to half of those people who have left the workforce are out because of COVID and pandemic related concerns. Um, so we're still working on getting back. Um, but right now we're in a situation where um, there is some inflation, but the GDP uh, projections are like sky high. Like we're, we're projected for 10% year over year growth in the fourth quarter. And which is like, that's high, especially for the United States being a um, an advanced economy like we are, the world leader, essentially. So uh, the economics have been, uh, you know, I've been saying this all episode, it's been interesting. There, there's been a <laughs> lot of going on. Um, I did see funny on Twitter yesterday or the other day that um, Larry Summers, um, an economist who has been kind of a foil within or someone who's been part of the Democratic um, establishment core, but not liked by lefties and also some not establishment people as well um, earlier in the year made a prediction that like, 99% of all possibilities fall within this and it was going to be these three things and none of those three things happened. So, <laughs> um, um, so yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been hard to predict uh, what's been going on in the economy. And again, we're, we're kind of seeing, you know, what, is there anything we really should have been doing differently? And, the answer is not, you know, not discernibly hmm. um, in, in far as far as stimulating the economy. And, you know, the U.S. has had the most robust um, recovery in the whole world. So there's definitely some that we've been doing right. So it's been it's been a complicated year. Un on, you know, there was no playbook of how do you get an economy going after you were forced to shut it down. <laughs> mm -hmm. So well, you just don't shut it down. Yep. There's 600,000 people who die every year from cancer and we don't shut the economy down. <laughs> Joe. That 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 congresswoman, she is something. Yeah, I, my my comment is in reference to the tweet by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who apparently doesn't understand that COVID is transmissible through human contact, whereas cancer is not. 
Um, she, that that is, is where just, the difference in lockdown policy comes from. Just a troll, just a full scale troll at <laughs> every level. Like there is, there is nothing else that she does. Like, um, you know, I, I saw someone else who was a bit of a Twitter troll. Iglesias uh, retweeted one of her, the things in that thread. And, you know, at one point she was like, we should encourage our neighbors to, um, you know, be better prepared against COVID and fight, you know, uh, you know, try and fight obesity and all this kind of stuff. And then I was like, what are her policy positions on trying to reduce obesity? Like, <laughs> you know, but encourage bike commutes. Are we doing, you know, lunches? What, what are we doing here? What, how are, <laughs> you know, sugar tax? What, what is her proposal to try and help reduce obesity? And, you know, yeah. if, if it really was her position and she actually felt it, you know, as a legislator, you would think that they would have some policy proposals. Yeah. That, but there aren't. Yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't get here from her policy proposal, she got here through really incendiary rhetoric. No, I thought she was the white paper queen. Just all <laughs> these, she just disseminated all these position papers, and you know the the intelligentsia just clamored. <laughs> if she knew what a white paper was, I would be pleasantly <laughs> surprised. Yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. She she's holding up the economy. She's the reason why shipping containers are you know, it is encouraging. Um even with inflation, real wages have been going up. Um there's also been I think we underestimate this, but there has been a much higher level consumption of goods than before the pandemic. So part of why there's so much, so many ships out at sea in California, I mean, part of it is inefficiencies due to port management. Um, but then also like, it's partly that we're like still restarting an economy, but then also a big part of it is that we're actually just buying more shit um, than we were before. Um, because still in this COVID economy, people are still spending more on stuff instead of services. Mm -hmm. So people are still not going on as many vacations or going to as many shows or, you know, doing things like that. So um, people, at least in the United States, do our um, good old consumerism tend to, when we have a few dollars in our pocket, want to spend it and we're still spending it on stuff. So. Like furniture. Yeah, things. I love some good things. Yeah, the um, Internet of Things. Yeah. So that's the economy. It's it's a lot going on. Best time to probably get a job. Um if you're if you're still looking to get a job, I guess, or change jobs. Um Yeah, yeah. there's stuff around, I think. Yeah. And you can <laughs> jump around too. Yeah, like House jump of Pain. Around. Um, we made the same yeah. reference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of of music, let's let's use this as a good transition to get into our discussion of our favorite cultural things from the year 
of 2021 i will go ahead and start and Good. say that <laughs> i figured throwing it to you you know it was just safer to, to start yeah, with myself <laughs> so obviously the biggest thing for me was bo burnham's inside special which i think is really more of a film than a traditional comedy special just a fantastic evocation of what it has been like to experience the pandemic, but also a broader exploration of social trends regarding a lot of social media and other ways that human interaction is changing the way we interface with each other, as well as our planet and the environment that, that transcend COVID. I think that it is just a, a fascinating and rare piece of art that I'm still thinking about and will continue to remember from years to come. For more traditional films, I think Antlers was a really awesome creature feature horror movie that came out that actually has a lot of the same themes regarding um, just sort of the impending sense of doom and hopelessness that is infecting all aspects of American society. So that's definitely one that's worth checking out um, as well when it comes to DVD. Music, we talked about uh, my girl Brandy Carlisle's new album. That was probably the the best music that I heard of the year. New music, of course. Um, and then Survivor came back for my TV shows. So I've been watching a lot of Survivor don't let the haters tell you differently. Season 41 is a good season. It's been a lot of fun to follow every week. Um, and uh, yeah, those are some of my favorite cultural things. What about you, Joe? Oh, you know, I should have prepared more for this, but I don't really consume any new culture. <laughs> um, What's your favorite YouTube video of the year? Well, you know, I was actually going to say uh, this year I have been um, pretty um enraptured by the youtuber contrapoints um this year she's released i don't know i think she's released two videos maybe there were three i don't know but um one was about um jk rowling and turfdom and um you know uh transphobia which was very interesting and then another one, uh, the other video was about um, Envy, and they're both like an hour and a half long, and I've watched both of them like many times. Mm. Um, there's something about it that just, you know, has captured my, piqued my interest. Um, so I highly recommend those. Um, this year, it wasn't a new book for this year, but I read it, um, the book called Strong Towns. I really, 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 really enjoyed that. Um, it's a nonfiction book about um, our towns and how we make them stronger and why they're, you know, insolvent and, you know, we don't have money for things and it feels like it's falling apart and all this kind of stuff. And uh, really opened my eyes to some things. And, you know, I, you know, uh, been trying to, I moved back to Galesburg and I've, you know, currently in a project to try and help revitalize it. So that was a great read um, within the realm of that. So I really enjoyed that. Book. So then Highly let's recommend. take it. 
let's take it to that personal level because I, I want us both to have some time to reflect on what the year 2021 has meant to us. And without just telling you about your own business, it seems like that has been a big theme for you this year has been rediscovering your hometown community and really thinking about what it means to reinvest there your time and energy. So any way that you would like to take that or go completely differently, what has 2021 meant for Joe? 2021 has meant for Joe is I've been trying to find the best fucking eggs I can, and it's surprisingly <laughs> hard. Um. <laughs> hey, you know, that's a journey. I guess. Who am I to, is, you know? This is my thing. This is it. This is my whole life. I've been keeping it secret, guys. <laughs> I've been trying all the eggs, and none of them are good. Um, um, but no, so, so, um, 2021 has been a pretty good year for Joe. Um, I would say this, um, you know, I spent so many years being in a bad place. Um, you know, before I started the pod, you know, the years before we started the podcast were some pretty tough years during my college years. I had a lot of mental health issues and physical health um, was deteriorating. And then, you know, in the early years when we started the podcast, you know, um, I, I was living in Kenosha. I was working a job that was burning me out. Um, and I was living far away from everyone. So I had no community and my physical health. I made some attempts to better that, but you know, it still wasn't great. But I was better than from before, but, but definitely not well. And, you know, then last year in the back half, you know, back third of the year, I had moved back to Galesburg, um, bought a house. I, you know, and also towards the end of last year, I had moved into my house and I now lived here for a full year. And, you know, things are starting to get good, but this year it has been really, really good. You know, I got some more friends, um, been able to. Um, I, I, I would think I, I can confidently say that I've been well this year, um, which is a nice uh, change of pace with things. I, I am at a job that I'm okay with and isn't burning me out. Um, you know, I'm being able to see friends and family um, pretty regularly. I've got a little routine of people I go and see every week. Um, so that's been nice. And I've, um, you know, and because I was able to feel well and, you know, I started dressing better and, and then, you know, about mid year, I started a weight loss journey, you know, that sounds a little cliche, but it's been successful, surprisingly. Um, you know, I went to the doctor and I weighed, 522 pounds and um doctor was and i had gone there for you know weight loss stuff and i was like you know my my new year's resolution was asked for help and so i went to the doctor and i was like you know what should we do and he was like well basically you have here you have two options basically either surgery or you can go on the ketogenic diet which has 
been the only thing that we really see right now that really does do effective weight loss. And I've been doing it and I've lost between 65 and 70 pounds so far. So in just about five months. So um, yeah, that's a big part of my life. That's been going great. I'm keeping on it. It's it's at a very sustainable level. Who knows? I'm I I think I should write a book about my my trials and tribulations of weight loss over the years. And unironically, yes, you should. Um, But then also within the last two months, I started a newsletter for um, an urban renewal uh, or revival of Galesburg. Um, It's called Inland Nobody. We mentioned it before, but um, it's been going very well. Um, I'm still getting used to writing a lot. Um, you know, that's something that, um, takes a little bit of, uh, you know, forethought. Um, I have tons of ideas, but actually getting them down on paper is, is one thing, but it's been going well. My readership has, you know, grown a little bit. I even, um, been read by the mayor of Galesburg and that's pretty neat. And yeah, big ups. Going, started going to city council meetings and I'm starting to think that um, devoting myself to, you know, helping Kelsberg is a, you know, I don't know, it may be a life's calling. It, 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 it's at least somewhere for me to put my energies in that I am excited about and I want to do. So, um, yeah, that's been 2021 for me. Yeah. What about... It's... if you Uh, have any comments on my stuff yeah it just it's seeing the way that you have kind of thrown yourself into the galesburg project as your friend and someone who loves you very deeply it's been very encouraging to see because that's been i think a struggle for both of us over the years is like a lot of passion a lot of creative energy but the big question has been, what what do we do? What do we want yeah. to do with this? And I think in a very meaningful way, you have found what you want to do. And yeah. it is to help the city of Galesburg. And I think that you are doing the work of going out and finding the levers you need to push. And like it's underway. And it's wonderful. And I'm very happy for all of the positive things that 2021 has brought you. Well, thank you. And here's to 2022. But um, how how's 2021 been for you, Evan? What 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 has it meant to you? Yeah. So 2021 for me, and again, I don't want to downplay because I know that things aren't objectively good in the world. You know, COVID is still here. We don't know how to handle the economy. People are suffering in a lot of areas. But 2021 is the first year in a long time where I can sit here in December and say year over year, I am better off than I was the year before. Um, 2015 was an awesome year for me. That's kind of where I feel like I had the most success in my speech and debate career. I felt like things were going well. I, I had a good sense of self. And then 2016, things started to slowly deteriorate, sort of personally, politically, and 2016 
Remember at the time when everyone was like, ah, 2016, damn you, the worst year yeah. possible. <laughs> and then and then 2017 was worse for me. And then 2018 was worse than 2017. And then 2019 was worse than 2018. And, and we then all thought 2019 was the pinnacle of bad years. <laughs> and then 2020 came and gobsmacked us all. Yeah. And... You know, a lot of people said it can't get worse from 2020, but I, I had been so jaded over the past like five years of my life that I I was really not hoping for anything better. And when I rang in 2021, I was unemployed, continuing over a year of unemployment. I was I felt fairly isolated because everything was closed down and there wasn't really a lot of places that I could go to connect with people. And, you know, a lot of my social circle lived kind of far away. I did. I, there, there are definitely good people that I've had in Indianapolis before 2021, but without a job, you know, you, it's tough to meet people in a new city. And I was just completely lost, but I was able to get, a full-time job in 2021 and this allowed me to meet a whole bunch of new people and so the the, the group of people that i can trust and rely on to have my back it, like you said it's this sense of community i have made amazing new friends in 2021 and also reconnected with old friends in a way that has been very valuable and rewarding to me and i just you know I think that there's there's a lot of discourse about, you know, what is the value of job, a dignity of work type of scenario. And I don't want to make any broad claims about what these things mean for anyone else. But for me, finally being able to have a job, and especially in a job that allows me to work with children, especially a job that allows me to work with children who are from, by and large, high poverty households, is that it makes me feel like there is a reason for me to get up in the morning if i do not show up and participate in my role someone will miss out on something that i bring to them and for me that that does give me a dignity that i didn't have before it gives me a sense of purpose and don't get me wrong, I still don't really know what I want to do long term. Like the actual role mm -hmm. that I'm in is not that appealing to me forever. But just being able to feel like I am in the smallest possible way helping someone outside of the old four walls of my home has been immensely rewarding to me. And yeah, conclusively, 2021 is the year where things have started to turn upward for me in a way that yeah. I was starting to lose faith could be possible. And, yeah. you know, 2022 is not guaranteed. I could, <laughs> I could be ro knocked right back down again. But 2021 has shown me that better things are possible for me. And now I just need to make the moves to get where I want to go. 
yeah it's been it's been good to see things come together for you man like it was also just like weird that like there was actually a point when you were socially isolated because dude you are a friend magnet <laughs> like like people just approach you to do things like in a way that never happens in my life so so the fact that like that was something going on in your life i was like that that's just totally environment because this this guy is a <laughs> this guy's a friend magnet well thank you and and i mean it really was because without having a job like workplace socialization i never understood how important that would be but like that's just that's how you meet people and especially if you're kind of working with a lot of people who are already kind of your age like that is the way to do it but even absent that all of the opportunities to formulate community were taken away during the pandemic because everything was closed we all yeah. didn't want to kill each other yeah with this deadly virus um but yeah i you know i i know i will have some of the friends that I am referring to listening to this right now, and I just want uh, them to know how grateful I am for their friendship and for contributing to making this a better year. Yeah, but yeah, it, those workplace relationships are important. Like this year, I, I had a former employer contact me about possibly working for them and they made an offer and I, you know, I didn't go for it, but you know, it would have been a, it would have been a remote position working from home. And, you know, I realized that, you know, since I'm not like in a committed relationship or, you know, have other people just around my house, I need those like work relationships, um, mm -hmm. you know, just, even if it's just nothing super serious, just someone to talk to, shoot, shoot the shit with, which is something I never really had with my jobs before. And, you know, part of working at where I am now that I do have those relationships and it's been nice. You know, I, yeah. it, 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 it adds value to my life. Um, having those relationships, it's all just people. It's all it's people all the way down. People need so much, and it's important to remember that I am also a person, and I need a lot too. Um, but hopefully if you find the right people, you can all give each other what you need. And that yeah. that is the spirit that I'm taking out of 2021 and will attempt to continue into 2022. Yeah. Yeah, we're 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 at least along some paths, you know. Yeah, like, for the first time, maybe I'm not even on the path, but at least like my flashlight has reached out and I've seen the path. And yeah, now, you, know, you, you wandering... can at least understand that there is a path. You know, there there has been ground tread. Something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was wandering in that wilderness for longer than I really care to dwell on. Yeah, I mean, shit, I I was too. You know, like. Mm -hmm. You know, I still have crazy uh, big ideas, but like now they're all about something like it's no longer some niche thing about, I don't know, uh, healthcare policy reform. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that I'm going to have no bearing on whatsoever. It's like 
oh, hey, maybe this street should be a little narrower, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, maybe, maybe we need to reroute 150 so that we can reclaim control of our downtown. Hey, that's that's a pretty good idea, man. I wonder where <laughs> you got that from. I'm going to claim it as my own. You can't prove yep. otherwise. No, no, <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. Um, but um, yeah, it's well, and it, you know, I think we've talked about this before is that, you know, kind of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that, you know, since we live in a time where, um, you know, so much of our, you know, that the things that we have in our lives are just taken as guaranteed. We have a higher order of things that we need to be satiated on. And, you know, it's a lot less clear of how you do satiate those, um, Mm -hmm. those needs, you know, it used to be that, oh, you know, you just have to do work so you can eat, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, well, you and I have, I don't know if have ever gone hungry. So have not. Nope, I haven't. So like, you know, we, we have a greater struggle to meet our self-actualization goals. And that's uh that's a lot less clear of how you do that. And, you know, both you and I have done a fair amount of uh, swimming through the swamp or, or wandering, I guess, swimming is a little too, too pointed, um, you know, um, and, you know, it, it you know, I will say for me personally, it's been good to find something, you know, that, you know, create, you know, aspires to this higher level. And I hope you and everybody listening to this is able to find that for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's a work in progress. We are we're all, all works, in, works progress. in progress. Exactly. Yep. You know what and I realized? This was what? the year where I realized that I can work on timetables that are longer than right now. Like, <laughs> like this is the year where I'm like, you know, specifically through this weight loss thing, it's like, okay, I'm doing this at basically full tilt and it's still going to take about two years to get to where I want to be. And that's okay. Because again, I'm doing it at about maximum speed that Mm -hmm. one could do this exercise at. So that's, you know, that's been kind of freeing, you know, like I remember I would like, I used to be so caught up in how fast I was losing weight. And if I had one week where I wasn't losing the maximum possible, you know, it'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm throwing it all away. What's it all for? You know? Mm-hmm. And stuff and now i'm just like you know it's just gonna take some time i'm doing everything right just trust the process you know man. yep it's the process mm-hmm. but but now now i'm starting to be able to kind of um you know transmorph that longer term thinking into other things and it, you know it probably has something to do with just being a little bit older um mm-hmm. and being a little bit more comfortable because you know when you're you're full of anxiety all you really can focus on is the here and then you know right now and um so now that i'm not as depressed or anxious you know can can focus on the long term a little bit so it's like i'm looking at you know some of these gillsford projects it's like this is probably going to take a whole lot of years should probably get started (laughs) on it you know (laughs) yeah um so you got to start somewhere get the ideas out there make the plans and then someday someone will come and do them but um 
yeah, it's uh, hopefully everyone can have the the, <laughs> the long term scope. But you know, if you're not there, then you're not there. You know. Mm-hmm. I've also got looked nothing at, but time. Yeah, and now that I'm better, I can like forgive myself for not doing things in all the times when I was unwell. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I was unwell, I'd beat myself up so much because I didn't achieve this or that, or I'm not doing this or that, or I, you know, blah, 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 blah. But now, now that I'm better, I'm like, oh, I was never going to do those things. Like, that was just, <laughs> that, that was just not going to happen. Like, that was, like, almost impossible for mm-hmm. it all to happen. But now it is. But, but I'm not beating myself up about it. But, um, yeah, it's just, there are better days. There better days can come, you know, mm-hmm. they won't always, but they can. Yeah. That's, that, that's kind of my takeaway. It's possible that things will get better. Life is not one slope downward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's not just like, I, I know that I still have basically nothing figured out. But even getting one thing figured out was the best year I've had in a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. Great. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about, man? I mean, 2021, that's it. That was the the politics, the culture, and the personhood of it. You know, we, uh, we, we lived a whole year. I think that... So let me ask you, how long did 2021 feel to you? There's always a discussion of how long years feel. How long did this feel to you? This this year booked, man. Okay. I, I don't, you know, some things it feels like it was so long ago, but then other things it feels fast. Like, I don't, yeah, that that's kind of my takeaway is that I feel like 2021 has felt like a year. You know, yeah. <laughs> 2020 felt like about five years. This felt like a year. You know, it was all yeah. right. Yeah. I'm actually able to like kind of observe seasons and holidays yeah. and shit. It's crazy. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Like I, I'm at work and I'm like such like the the dog who was beat at a former owner. Like I'm like, do we have a day off for this holiday? And they're like, Yeah, of course. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's so nice. <laughs> Are you sure you're not going to make me come in? <laughs> you're not going to pull the football away? Yeah. You're not going to give me a treat that hit me? Uh, but anyway. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Let's anyway, do another anyway, hour of anyways. anyways. Yeah, anyway. 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 And in a way. And in a way, isn't that what 2021 has all been about? Anyway. so i think that's about it right yeah that'll do it another year of adequately informed we thank everybody for listening um if you're listening still this far um evan this is this is basically us for the year of 2021 right we're we're gonna come back in 2022 we're signing off for 2021 we'll see you in january yeah and we'll 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 I don't know. We'll be us at the very least. Yeah. You know? Hopefully you like us. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the sign out from us uh, or, or, or thanks Anthony Hish. I hope he's been doing well. I think he's been in a band. And I think I think they've been doing all right. 
Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. But thanks, Anthony Hish, for the music. Thank you for listening. Uh, my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been... Adequately informed.